I'm Maddie Michael, and this is Life of Mine. Well, but we got some ripper deposits that keep geos on their toes in WA. You know, Plutonic is one of them. And Is that just, what, because it's so uh, nuggety and, like, it's just all over the shop, patchy? Or what's yeah, that? Kind, of, kind of all of that. Um, so you could have a, a face that, you know, can go 50, 60 grams in the next two faces later. There's nothing in it, so... I guess shit flies downhill from you, doesn't it? Because because <laughs> you're the first you're the first cab off the rank in these uh, in the in the studies. The whole mind design and strategy comes from the model. I will push one of my barrows here. Feasibility decisions are made on one resource estimate, and, and that if you think about it, based on what you were just saying, then it seems a fairly um, you know potentially two or three could be done. Right, the, the long away to geology chat, Jill. Mm-hmm. Welcome to well, it's the geology chat. <laughs> I like that. I could go with that. I went to I, did, I went to do a geology chat with Rebecca Prane. Yeah, like, yeah. God, that was early days, but she just diverted on to feminism, and we didn't talk any geology. So. <laughs> I can stick on geology, will we say. <laughs> Good work. Good work. Jill Irvin, how long have you been licking rocks for? Oh, now? well, it's, you know, I've, I don't know. My first rock probably was in 1994. What was the first rock? <laughs> Do you remember the I'm first rock I'm not going to disclose. No, I don't. I don't remember. <laughs> No, I don't remember at all. There's so many, you just lose count. <laughs> Wait, so you were a school of mines, WA, born, bred, everything, were you? Yeah, yeah, it was, actually. Yep. Got out of Perth and, um, yeah, went to school of mines. Yeah. Actually, one of, the, um, one of the things that got us up there, because, you know, coming from Perth, mining didn't always have high profile, as you think it would, mm-hmm. within the school environment. But um, we had uh, my sister went on one of the... Uh, like what do you what do you call it? Like a camp, school yeah. camp up to Kalgoorlie, and she came back with all the wasm brochures and everything. And I was like in year twelve at the time. So, um, and my dad was a mining engineer. So between those two things, I thought I'd give it a go, and I got to move out of home. Yeah. So <laughs> so at nineteen, I moved up to Cal and started school. Oh, so you went from there from the start. Yeah. But is that how it was back then? Was there ever a Perth base then go to Cal like it is now, or? No, not that I was aware of. Like, yeah. you want to, if I want to study geology at School of Mines, then first year, go up. And what? how did you pick geology? What was the inspiration? Oh, well, I'm not going to say it's like something I want to do forever. <laughs> um, I actually wanted, I wanted to uh, initially be a – well, you know, at that age, you really don't know. Uh, you know, I didn't know really exactly what I wanted to be. <clears throat> but I loved earth science stuff, volcanoes, you know. All that yeah. sort of shit. I haven't seen any as a geologist. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like a um, criminal psycho, criminal psycho, forensic psychiatrist. They watch CSI and they're like, "Oh, yeah, I'll do that." Yeah, yeah. And they can't get a bloody job. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that was one of the things. One of the things I was like, "Oh, you know, something in the science, marine biology would be good." But at that stage, like environment wasn't a big thing. No marine biologists are getting jobs. Geology was a close second, and yeah. like I said at start, got to move out of home, so I did that. Yeah. Gave it a go, and um. Yeah, never really looked back. Who who were the uh, everyone? You, I found all wasn't people. Quote who was in their year usually. Who who did you go they? through? Who you go through with? Well, who the some name of the prominent? Or? The name drop. Who were the prominent <laughs> figures in your little wasn't crew I mean, back in the I mean, day? I, I, my memory is just not so great. I, you know what? I remember the people I lived with. You know the, yeah. you know, the gem 
well, obviously your viewers don't know who oh. they are, but... Oh, Murph. <laughs> yeah. Is it Gemma Murphy? Yeah, Gemma Murphy. Oh, what a um, bloody legend, friend of the show. <laughs> yeah, so Gem, uh, Joe Endersbury and um, Louise Brooks, was Brooks now. So that yeah. were like the girls, um, we were put together in the hall in the first year and then we yeah. moved into a unit in, uh, I think, second, third year together. And, okay. you know, there's other names which... I, you know, most of us all kind of know who's who. But there was kind of a group around that three, four years that are sort of fairly prominent in the industry now. Like we all see each other quite often around the, yeah. on the, around the traps. How'd Gemma Murphy go on the goon bags back at uni? She would have oh, been gonna, the, she I'm not going to share any of those stories. Oh, that's no, that's no <laughs> bloody fun. I'll ring her uh, later and ask. Throw her under the bus. She, she could do the same for me. So. Are you going, if you were going to rate her from like one to ten of like uh, – Alcohol consumption, where did she write? Oh, uh, no, I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> she was always good fun, though. <laughs> I'll say that. Jem's always good value. Oh, she's a bloody legend. Shout out, Jem. Mate, <laughs> so what excites you about geology these days, Jill? Uh, well, probably the same stuff as before, really. I always love a challenge, and geology doesn't really um, allow you to do anything without a bit of a challenge, really. Mm. It's, it's, there's nothing that is necessarily always predictable about it. you always got to be looking mm. for... Um, new, new ways of doing stuff, but also um, trying to nut out the geology of the deposit, mm. um, you know, particularly gold. It's, it's pretty exciting from my point of view mm. uh, in terms of, you know, working out where it is there, getting the drilling results. I actually still really like that stuff. I probably, I probably long to do a bit more core logging now, which I couldn't wait to get away from <laughs> when I was younger. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. <laughs> myself lately just thinking it'd be nice to just sit in the core farm for a few hours but it'd be rather maybe therapeutic wouldn't it yeah yeah like yeah. it's the whole meditation thing now i think i think it could <laughs> it could be a new form of um what's that what do they call it mindful meta- yeah mindful mindfulness meta- really get to the core of your thoughts you'd say oh, too much time for that so. <laughs> <laughs> anyway look yeah and no, I, I actually like i mean obviously the sort of geology i do now is um you know less sort of you know we'll go in and do operational views, feasibility studies, diligence yeah. and things like that. So it's more a lot more kind of uh, overview operational resources kind of stuff. So I don't, you know, I'll get in and see some some core and things like that. But the, ex- the things that excite me now is, um, you know, we've got a team of people is just, you know, diversity of projects, seeing a lot of range of different projects around the place mm. um, and being able to, yeah, nut out, hopefully add some value and nut out and give some clients some feedback on things that helps them get more out of the deposits. So. Mm. It's always a challenge. Did you, buddy? You need some bloody. I thought you'd chuck some rocks on the wall in the Qantas Club, the Entech Qantas Club here that you know we're what? sitting at. I got a sneaky book there. <laughs> it's a gemstone book. I don't think Shane knows about it. <laughs> I put down there, but um. So was gold? Was gold? I guess <clears throat> one of your niches through your career. Yeah, golden. Um, so I started out in Mount Isa, so there's copper. Oh, uh, right. They got lead zinc, but I was in the copper mines. So I started out there and then I went to lead zinc uh, up at Leonard Shelf in WA. So, I, you know, I actually started in base metals, but... Um, oh, so you are up in the Polara days, were you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a group of people as well. Though. Yeah, well, I talked to a few episodes ago, it was Paul Bennett. So oh, yeah, Was yeah. he up there when you were there? Yeah, so he was he was underground manager, I think, at KFOC, Kunjua, Kajabak. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, we knew him from there. And we were at the other side of Polara, but it's, it's such a small kind of group there. We yeah. all knew each other. So, um, yeah, so we up there and then went to Golda through Barrack 
up at Lawler's and then ah. did golf for quite a while. Were you sampling any faces for the infamous Mark Bowden and uh, Paul, uh, Mick Garbellini on the jumbo up at uh, <laughs> K-Pork? I don't know. They were, they were running the show according to them. Yeah, really? <laughs> <laughs> they all do. I remember Bogger off road called Slugger. That was kind of... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all I kind of remember. I'm sure there's more than one slugger out there. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably. So what interest did, I guess, different... What did you see the differences between working in your bulk commodity uh, lead zinc copper than gold? Did much of it translate early on? Oh, um, that's a very good question. You've been studying up your... Oh, not really. I'll just make, make, <laughs> I'll just make questions up as I go. <laughs> um, you know what? I think it's... Um, it's when I say predictability, that's a big generalisation. But you know, the base metals are generally a little bit better behaved. It does depend on the deposit, but you know, in terms of from a mining point of view and knowing where you're going as a geo, you know, the, you can rely on a few more things when it comes to the base metals. Whereas gold, you know, it's the nugget. It it really does sort of keep you on your toes. You know, we well, got there'd some be a fuckload more margin of error for. Gold, like well, if you get it wrong. Well, most of the time, like, yeah, like, you don't always, you know, you don't always know what's going on with gold either. You know, a lot of yeah. people are working it out as they're going on. You get the drilling filling in. You know, the story can change a few times, particularly if you're starting up a mine. You know, you'll have a rough mm. idea, but it throws a lot of curveballs at you. So, mm. you know, I'm sure some of the, you know, I'm sure as a geo you try to sort of make sure you feel like, you know, everyone sort of thinks you have it all underhand. But a lot of the time you kind of, just making sure what you think you know is the right thing down there as well. Mm. Um, and that does depend by deposit as well. But we've got some ripper deposits that keep geos on their toes in WA. You know, Plutonic is one of them. And Is that just what because it's so uh, nuggety and it, like it's just all over the shop, patchy or what? Yeah, that? Kind, of, kind of all of that really. So, um, you know, it's not a nice narrow vein. You can go down, you can see it, it's visual, you find it, you follow yeah. it. Um, but at the same time, it's obviously bigger, so there's more gold. But it's hard to pin down where it is. It's not always in the same place. Um, and, I mean, any of the geos you talk to about Plutonic, and we've got a couple here as well, it's just a really humbling deposit from a geology point of view. You can't really get too high and mighty about knowing what's going on, you know. So I think is, that's is a really it like good a, thing. Is it as what, – why is it – it's not a vein. Is it like a sedimentary or something? How, what's, it, what's it look like, the plutonic gold? Yeah, so it's in um, – it's, it's got a, a – well, it's really – it's a quite a good question. But it's – the gold is distributed through, um, you know, quite a few different sort of proxies for geology. But it's nothing you can really pin your hat on for it. So they have sort of a high-grade core. But outside of that, there's lower-grade areas – um, so you could have a, a face that, you know, can go 50, 60 grams and the next two faces later there's nothing in it. So yep. in terms of translating a deposit into something that's mineable, you know, and sort of predictability for, for going along the mining and then coming back and stoping it and having it there above above the drive, it is pretty tricky. And can you – is there – so there's no distinct vein you can – See, not like a visual thing that I mean, yeah. there's, there's different styles of mineralization there, but it's not, say, you know, sort of like even uh, you know, Norseman, where the gold is pretty much in, in the veins, and so they follow that and visual gold as well, and things like that. So it's not, not the same as, as those sort of deposits, more like Paulson's. Paulson's was just bloody quartz everywhere, then just a sulfide vein, nice and simple. And there was two of them, yeah, just follow that. 
I think visual, <laughs> visual deposits are, yeah, they're pretty good. You know, even saying that, the gold's not always in the same spot in the vein, but visual mm. deposits make it a lot easier from an underground point of view anyway. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, kind of one of our key things uh, from, you know, for me and, and the geology team is just the underground. So if Plutonic come and knock on your little Entech doorstep and say, we want you to model this, that sounds like an absolute nightmare if you're going to model, try and model somewhere, somewhere like Plutonic and put some degree of level of confidence on it. Yeah. That would be that would be uh that would keep you on your toes as you say, wouldn't it? Yeah, it'd be expensive. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, you're not selling it too well, Jill. God. No, we we've had a little bit to do with it over the years and, and recently as well. So we can see, you know, there's there's always ways of tackling things, but one of the good things it has at Pluto now is the reconciliation. There's yeah. a lot of recon stuff, so you you know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You can test what you're doing against what's been what's happened before so yeah. and how, okay so what's the okay let's go through how you attack an ore body like that in terms of both or combined the drilling the the sampling the modeling and i guess the past learnings of how to understand how that ore body works especially when you got GOs going in and out of the joint mm. um anyone that's been there bloody 20 years would be worth their weight in gold in terms yeah, of the knowledge, knowledge of how it works, um, <coughs> how do you approach that? Start to finish. Oh, start Jesus, to finish. Jesus, bloody, man. what do we got? Thanks, We've got man. about half hour here, mate. So mm. you can bloody. No, I can't. We'll, we'll talk other, something other than plutonic, but it's a very to... injury. It's fine. Oh, if it's interesting to you, it's interesting to everyone, I think, Jill. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I approach That's it. Call. That's why I don't do questions. That's a big call. Uh, I can't. I won't go start to finish. I think you'll you'll end up with probably half your followers by the time <laughs> you get to the end of it. Um, look, I'll talk a bit more generally about you know not just you know to Pluto. Pluto is one of those things, but at the end of the day, in terms of sort of getting in front and knowing what's happening with the deposit, uh, it's a pretty boring answer. It is really drilling. It's always drilling and it's getting in front of drilling. So the bigger companies have, you know, budgets and, and ability to be able to stick out, um, you know, dedicated drill drives. That's kind of usually the key to unlocking any of the deposit and, and yeah. making sure that you can get some performance or at least manage the performance of the mining as it's coming out. It's not always possible for every company, but the more you drill, the easier it is to understand, the easier it is to estimate. Uh, in terms of, you know, sampling and grade control, you know, and, and drill spacing, that, that'll change by deposit. But from a drill, you know, if, whether people do face sampling, usually in gold they will, base metals, tend, people tend to drop it off. Mm. But it's always really, really helpful to do it and make sure the geos are doing it. You know, in gold you don't have a choice, but even base metals, one of the key things we come out with on often reviews is that, you know, you sort of get down and see the faces and map them. Yeah, they may not have to sample them as much, but still got to get a visual eye in for the sulfides and the lead zinc, copper contents and things like that. So it's one of those things that can be easily dropped off, particularly as mines get deeper and you know, it's harder to get down to. So, yeah, I think it's, it's still the same. It's always been mm. you've got to get ahead and drill early, drill from a dedicated drill drive for those that can afford it. Um, and and face sample as well. So when you okay, so you've drilled from the ore drive. You've you've got a model of X amount of confidence. Um, you start actually jumbo developing the jumbo drives, and I've seen many cases where once you go in those jumbo drives, it doesn't like shit. This uh, this isn't what it was supposed to look like. Both good and bad. Mostly sometimes it's bad because that's when you hear about it. Hmm. Then you start your face sampling and everything. I guess what's the importance or the pressure of 
using that to progressively update the model before you actually fire those stopes because there is that time pressure because once you're in that ore drive, they want to blast the bloody thing as soon as they get to the end. Yeah, yeah. But then things will change significantly, especially you chuck a couple of faults in there, offsetting the loads and everything. Um, how, what's the importance of that and the pra- well, the practicalities of it really? Yeah, it's always a bit of a time pressure, we, you know, always for the geos um, to, to get it done. Look, you know, we, we've seen a lot of different operations and I think if you don't allow the geologist the time to do it and you rush them on it, you'll end up with something that, you know, may have performance issues. Mm. So <clears throat> it really comes down to, uh, you know, there's practicalities of it, but it really comes down to management and scheduling and making sure when, you know, the engineers got the scheduling, there's time in there for mm. people to turn around things and get the data they need. Everyone can always get something out a lot quicker than, than um, they would like to. But when you actually got to mine it and there's, you know, real deliverable numbers and the market's expecting on the back of that, then, um, you know, there is definitely worth the time make sure it's scheduled in and people have time for that. Mm. So um, I can't remember the original question you talked. You asked. Oh, neither can I. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of went off piste there. I was like, um, but it's, a, yeah. it's a big uh, overall big team effort and a lot of frigging hours of hard work to make sure it's uh, you give yourself the best chance of that, the model grade coming out of the actual being converted into the head grade. You got to. Yeah, look, and again, each, like, I just keep saying it, but every deposit is is different, has its own set of challenges. But and and particularly for gold, um, you know, the more information you have, it's fu- mm. it's a funny coincidence. The more information you have, and the more drilling you have, the better the estimate tends to perform. Mm. So when you when you do have an expiration drive, or when you start actually grade controlling, I guess uh, let's go through what the spacings are, the the jorks, the side of things. If you've got an expiration drive and you're doing a drill program to, I guess, define an ore body, then you get closer to it and you start doing grade control from a couple of levels of above. How do the actual drill spacings change, and what are the is there sort of rules of thumb you go to of what you should apply, is, or is it changes from geology to geology yeah there's a little bit of variation perhaps deposit deposit or geo (coughs) excuse me operation to operation however as a rule of thumb you know uh, the bulk commodities will have wider drill spacing Mm. and your gold will have some of the most narrow so you know if you're talking let's just say gold um for uh, you know underground it's different in open pits a little bit as well but you try and have your drill spacing kind of talking to what your mining style also might be and um, there are different ways of having a look at the drill spacing. Um, and it can be a tricky. So people do drill spacing analysis and things like that. But a lot of that is based on um, some geostatistical parameters, um, such as ferriography, which at an early stage of a deposit, people don't actually have a really good handle on. So, you know, a lot of common sense and practi- you know, practical um, and pragmatic approach needs to be taken for drill spacing. So if we put it into the context of, say, um, Jork and what we would do here, if we were looking at classifying something as inferred within, you know, stock standard WA gold deposit, we would be looking at going under 50 metres on a, on a res dev, 40. It's a comfortable zone for us. Yep. Uh, you know, and... And that's the toe spacing of those... Of the drill holes. So like pierce points going yep. through a deposit. Okay, yeah, yeah, pierce points, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it'd be like pierce points heading through a deposit. Um, and then if you're going to indicate it, which is that, you know, it's that major trigger from 
inferring, yeah, there's some metal there, we don't know a lot about it, but it's yep. there to indicate it, which, um, you know, is the clear trigger where people can go and put reserves on it. It's a different value, goes to the market, and there's a level of performance required mm. from that moving forward. Then, um, you know, we, we kind of go down to the 20s or 30s spacing. Um, yep. and, and, you know, we don't always I'll probably put a few... I'm not sure how that comes across in your podcast, but we don't always put measured in. A lot of people used to put measured for gold. Uh, we think measured is a grade control level. So, um, so grade, grade control is, um, yeah, so if you're grade controlling, that's pretty much the only way. So grade controlling is for a gold deposit to get it to measured is about 10 to 20 metre piece space. Our point of view on that is, yeah, so the resources yeah. we'd put out, you know, and, and we review a lot of other resources. I, I don't think, um, you know, if we were benchmarked, we'd be that far off what others do. Yeah. But, in you know, measured is, is a really, is a careful, you've got to be careful because measured is, a, you know, people expect that to pretty much you could go mine it and guaranteed it would perform very well you know and that's that's our point of view on it so inferred it's we know there's some metal there but there's a lot of stuff you don't know indicated it's just that trigger into reserves and one of the key things obviously here a lot of the stuff we do is pointy end of uh you know uh projects um you know project stage it'll be a feasibility it's big capital development mm. decisions made and money made on the back of those so um you know when it comes to what we classify, we take particular care on that. But, you know, at the end of the day, it does really all come back down to the geology, how much information you have. And I guess shit flies downhill from you, doesn't it? Because <laughs> you're, like, you're the first cab off the rank in, these, uh, in, the, in the studies because you, the model and everything is, comes from that. The whole, the whole mind design and strategy comes from the model. So the, the risk and the importance of uh, getting that model is close to, you know, what you're comfortable with to put your name next to. That's, uh, geez, you got some bloody pressure on you, Jill. Go yeah. hit, him, hit him up for a it bloody like pay I'm, rise after like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, look, yeah, I think, you know, and I think recently, probably in the last 10 years, and it's not the first time, there's, there's always, um, you know, projects that are decided and they go to mine and things aren't quite what people expected. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I will... I will push one of my barrows here if I can. Um, and that is, you know, I think a lot of decisions, you know, capital decisions and feasibility decisions are made on one resource estimate. And, and that, if you think about it based on what you were just saying then, mm. it seems a fairly, um, you know, potentially two or three could be done. So as in, say, like yeah, the, the studies and everything are based on one person's interpretation, one geologist's interpretation yeah. oh, one team of geologists one team off. or one cp sign off like that per yeah. that that team might do a couple of different iterations of the interpretation but there is a certain way they approach things yeah certain way they think about it you know it's very subjective geology there is a, there is a bit in there like that and you know um again at feasibility you have some resource definition drilling but you don't have grade control so there's still a lot of stuff that you don't know that's going to come your way i think that risk and variability could be captured um, you know, with, with boards and companies considering more than one, you know, resource. I don't know mm. how that plays into making capital decisions, but at least they can have a bit more of an informed view of how much it varies between getting a couple of different people involved. You know, and the CP you use might be an internal person or external. That person might not be there for the next update one. So yeah. it's good to know whether things don't vary much in your deposit between people or between teams 
or um, you know whether it, whether it could be a big variability. You can pull that into things like your feasibilities and, and make a bit more of an informed decision about that. What because you're you're producing the the headline number for a lot of companies <laughs> with resource estimates, like the the number that the number that comes up as when they re- release a you know stage one PFS or just their initial mineral resource is like the number you have signed off on. What are companies like to deal with? Is there do they vary? Are some companies to companies can companies put pressure on geologists to try and get a certain number which may just match their performance rights or things, or a company usually pretty easy to deal with or mm. or is it a bit up and up and down you know it's it's um it's all of that it's it's yeah. from um you know from those that go we know what you guys do we're gonna you know trust you we'll do the best job you can keep us informed how you're going and we work with them from you know try and pick their brains and all the geology and then mm-hmm. take it through to estimation um and then we have others that you know do try and control things along the way i think we you know when i first started the geology services here at ntech and we're building a client base there was kind of you know a little bit more hit and miss in terms of clients mm-hmm. we aligned with and and those we didn't so much but over time um, you know, I, I think I've learned a few things and we tend to, <laughs> we tend to have conversations early on with clients that yep. we can suss out that we're aligned in terms of where things are going and if we feel uh, people just would like you to press a few buttons and have this number at the end or if that number comes up at one of the first few meetings, then, um, you know, we can make some decisions around that. Have you had a few, blo- a you, have you few, blo- <laughs> few bust-ups in your time? Oh, you know, I think you have to stand your ground sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a small industry and, and, and being a service provider, it's a tricky it's a tricky thing to do. Some of the most difficult things to do. Yeah. Um, but I think, uh, as you said before, if you're putting your name to something, uh, at the end of the day you need to uh, go to sleep at night. We're, you know, we're not necessarily saving the world with what we do, but we certainly do, um, you know, add value, take value away to, you know, and, and inform investors' decisions, you know, mm. around real money. So that sort of stuff needs to... You need to make sure you're comfortable doing what you can do. Because you're bloody, you're you're making the share price go up and down pretty much, Jill. Well, with the number you're putting, <laughs> number you're putting out. Can you? Because could you? Always. If they, if they, because it's pretty easy to. Well, what's the quote? If, if you see the incentives, you know the outcome usually, <laughs> and that's usually how these performance rights that are based on uh, yeah, resource big... resource amount targets. Yeah, yeah. But can you? I, I suppose at the start, as you said, if you align and like, okay, well, obviously this is the number they want, but you're like, well, to get that, you need to drill more holes. We need more information for more yeah. loads because you're not going to get there with what you got at the moment. Do you have the power to have that conversation? <clears throat> yeah. Like, you know, it's something uh, I say we do now that I probably didn't do at the start is we mm. have a bit of a look at the project and have a look. Um, you know, one of the key things is take into account what's been done before as well. So often mm. um, I would love to take a project from maiden resource through to mining, but it doesn't always come in like that. Sometimes you'll come in along and there's already been a body of work done before. So we'll have a look at what's been done before and we can see perhaps what's, you know, coming ahead. And we have a few things we can do now which will give us rough, you know, kind of volume and grades and we can see whether, well, you know, ballpark-wise mm. we're still aligned. But we, um, you know, it's not certain to get to the, the end of the estimate, mm. you know. What... um. It'd be easy just to say in the gold and base metals lane your whole career. That'd be nice and easy. But now they've just thrown lithium and rare earths into the into the mix. When yeah. did you start? Oh, we'll talk lithium. 
When did you, oh, did you, have, you been, have you been into it much? <laughs> have you covered much of it yet? No, look a little. We've done some reviews on it. We, none of, um, you know, one of my geos has hands-on lithium experience. One of the, one of the key things, uh, you know, or the, one of the tenants we always, I always stick with with a team mm. that I've got is you've got to have hands-on. So uh, we've got one of our geos that has hands-on in lithium. Certainly mm. not me. So, you know, I oh, you're the manager. You can just delegate <laughs> piece of piss. I actually like getting on the tools, but um, yeah, I would say it's a fairly short conversation on the lithium. We yeah. do have exposure to it. Our geotech and engineers are doing a lot of it, so we are, you know, getting our geos some exposure mm. on sites to mm. lithium, so we can build up, uh, you know, some actual, you know, ground truthing and, and hands-on experience with it before we start looking at doing anything else. In it. What's your What's your observer point of view of lithium in a geology aspect? Is it Is it a challenging variable? What would you compare it to in levels of difficulty compared to gold and base metals? Oh, I'm gonna yeah. It's probably controversial I, <laughs> because it's visual. There, there's look. There's some definitely on the geomet side. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more challenges than than um, on generally on gold and base metals. These are all generalizations, mm. but there is a vi- highly visual component to um, you know pegmatites, and so I think. Eh, you know, it's probably more a little bit more like the bulk metals, where it's it's this sort of product more driven and geomet driven, mm. um, whereas you know the geology, there's pegmatite and there's country rock. So, from my initial, I'll say initial for all those lithium experts out there, um, mm. take on it. There is a lot more challenges in terms of um, geometallurgy, yeah, rather than sort of you know nugget like you would have in gold. So. What about rare earths? God, that's oh, a no, whole nother. That is a whole nother kettle of fish, isn't I just it? Hope God. They go away. But is, I don't know anything about them. <laughs> oh, geez, think, uh, based on all these bloody electric vehicles and wind turbines, mate, I don't think they're going anywhere anytime soon. No. You might be forced into it yeah, by look, market demand. You know, look, and um, Shane's very progressive on um, getting, you know, the lithium and the rare earths uh, sorted um, on the geology front, and we will get there eventually. It just takes time. Yeah. You know, like I don't have any geos that have been in rare earths. We have, you know, some bulk commodity experience, but it's a really specialised field right now. It's a handful uh, so are of Are there specialised people that are really um, experts in that area that specifically deal with, like, carbonatites? I think, you know, yeah, there is a, a probably select few people that actually know quite a bit about it, and it's probably from the fact that it hasn't been – Super sexy up until recently. And it's probably still evolving a lot, I assume. Like yeah. Look at all the knowledge you have and all WA geologists have for, you know, WA gold. It's been around for decades. Mm. But carbonatites and like even lithium deposits are really now only coming really to the forefront. They've still been around. Well, they've been there's around been before not as many. Them, but we, <laughs> we weren't really looking for them, you know. So I think, um, yeah, I think there will be over some time, um, and I don't know what sort of time frame that is, but people are getting exposure to it. Yeah. So the level of people that can actually tackle these things will increase over time. Um, but, you know, it'd be like uranium was when, when that had its run as well. Well, that's, it, that's your next one coming too, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that. So, yeah, look, you know, they, those guys have, you know, really, I, I, like you said, I don't think they're going away. Um, mm. And, you know, the geos I have are smarter and younger than me so they mm. will be able to pick these things up just give them exposure to it mm. um but we're not at this point for rare earths we're not signing off on anything what now to round off jill what are some of the biggest 
evolutions you've seen in the world of geology during your career to what it is today some of the most impressive oh, innovations like one example could be like, like leapfrog like the implicit modeling that's out there now oh, that glad wasn't, you gave me that yep. wasn't there before <laughs> like that. that that sort of thing what are some of the some of the the coolest things that are out now that weren't around 20 years ago yeah i all right i will go with you with your segue there into leapfrog that has been um, quite a good thing. When that first came out, you know, like a, like all new um, approaches, it probably wasn't, you know, not everyone had a good handle on how to control it. Mm. But um, but that's changed over time. How, how does it work? Probably even talk about the difference between what Leapfrog does and your conventional modelling softwares and methods. Yeah. So I always sort of think, I wonder whether how um, interested everyone is in this. We'll I'll tell soon, you by the we'll downloads at the end, mate. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, so um, I'll be, I'll straight up say I'm not a massive Leapfrog user compared to the rest of my team. So, mm. you know, I'm still stuck in uh, CEPAC days, but I use Leapfrog to get what I need out of it. But um, the team will basically, um, you know, Leapfrog is an, is an algorithm-driven um, product which will allow you to be able to tag. You still control it. You know, you tag what you think is mineralisation. If I, you know kind of keep it um, pretty straightforward as opposed to what we used to do. So you would tag it and then it'll use, um, you know, the algorithm to join between your tagged um, jewel holes. So you still define what's mineralisation. It doesn't do that for you. You yeah. know, um, and you still control continuity. Uh, you still control orientation. You have a lot of control over it. It just allows you to join up between those areas a lot, you know, a lot quicker. And it also allows you, they've got an RBF function, which allows you to... Um, run some probability-based volumes, which are really good for checking, you know, uh, you know, and I was talking before about different approaches. You can check ones if we do it this way or that way, we tighten things up, try this orientation. Mm. You know, so we've got an example at the moment, there's the northwest, uh, sorry, north-south system, but there's some indications there's east-west mineralisation control, so we run some iterations on that within LeapFrog. We can do it really quickly and we can see what hangs together, what doesn't. So um, previously, in terms of what we used to do, um, you know, everyone, all the geos out there that are probably my vintage will remember, you know, bring up Serpac or Datamine or whatever you're working in and you would click around in section basically your mineralisation and then once that's finished you so would that's go the wireframe you and make then you the wireframe yeah you get a string and then you'd wireframe between it it wouldn't always yep. wireframe easily <clears throat> and so uh yeah it would take a quite a long time we can do interp a lot quicker now still with the same controls in place that we have with what we used to do but just a lot um more efficient so what what was the first step? So you got all your drill holes. Do you generate you generate the block model in Serpac first and then wireframe, or does the wireframe come before the block model? How does geology. that work? Always geology and wireframes. Yep. Do yep. them first um, and yep, get up on site and have a look at what you're dealing with. Um, and then the geology. block model gets generated out of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So get your wireframes done first. Um, hopefully, hopefully it uh, resembles some form of reality on site that's the mm. whole idea so you get your geology done and then you can use that to identify what's mineralization within your wireframes and those those little intercepts the from and to down holes they get used um you know within the estimation process you make some composites up and create a block model and put some grades into blocks god i don't miss bloody serpak the bloody intersecting triangles missing triangles bloody yeah, oh you used to stuff. fucking drive me nuts <laughs> yeah that's oh. 
God, the joy yeah, no, of no, it. Yeah, no, no one misses that. <laughs> <laughs> so, do, so does leap, Leapfrog, if you're going to talk about stages of the process, does Leapfrog eliminate the stage of wireframing block modelling and does it all in one go? What's the, what's the efficiency there? Uh, so the efficiency is, um, you know, it doesn't, in terms of block modelling, we still move, we'll use Leapfrog and then we'll move to another mining software package to do the estimation. Leapfrog can do estimation as well yep. and we use that as well for, um, but, you know, the main benefit for us for Leapfrog is just the interp side of things. And also from a diligence, due, due diligence point of view, we can do global metal checks quite quickly. We can generate check uh, estimates and check interpretations on what a vendor might be selling, Yeah, you know, in a, in, a, in a fraction of the time that we would have to do if we were clicking around on screen. Yeah, wow. <clears throat> Jeez, they would have made a shitload of money. Who bought, has anyone bought, who bought, did someone buy them out? Uh, it's been done a few times, I think. <coughs> Excuse me. Sequent have it, but I think it's a global guy. I don't know, I'm out of my depth on that. Yeah, there you um, go. Good, good on them. There's been a lot of, yeah, like sort of global buy-ups of smaller groups, you know, particularly if it's good technology, mm. you know, people will, will buy that up. But that's kind of been the trend for the last few years, I think. Should have started one yourself, Jill. Software. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not smart enough for that. I'll let the other, other boffins take care of that. I, um, yeah, I'll stick to my, stick to my knitting. What's the, uh, so if we're going to do some, oh, cause the demand for your ge- geological expertise is just going to go through the bloody roof now after this episode, <laughs> mate, the fans are going to want more. What if, right? we, if we're going to do, right? cause yeah, as we said, we can't have Tommy Parrott bloody taking all the glory in the geotechnical department here. We've had to bloody even the, even the balance up a bit. Oh, how what? am I going compared to Tom? Send, right? send, oh, geez, I've got to keep everyone happy. I'll just like. <laughs> A bit like your diplomatic responses, mate. Yous are all on par together. You wouldn't tell me about Murph's uh, Murph's uni days, so I'll, uh, I'll keep diplomatic myself. What's what would you do for a, like a specialty episode? If you're going to do like pick f- three topics, you could make a thirty minute podcast out of oh. for geology. What would you pick? Jesus. Ah. Uh. I hadn't thought that far ahead. <laughs> well, that's what happens when I don't give you questions. <laughs> I'll have to take your notice of that. Oh, look, I don't know. I, You know, I think sometimes the things that are important, that I think are important in the estimation world um, is potentially not always shared by everyone else. But, you know, there is a, there is a few things, uh, you know, I think one of the things would be good is to demystify uh, estimation. A yeah. fair bit, you know. There's a lot of people out there that you know they're, they're experts, and there's a lot of people that do actually generally ex- experts and have experience. But the, the word experts thrown around a lot, and I think um, you know some some terms are thrown around a lot within the estimation um, world, which um, you know it's not rocket science. It really isn't. It, mm-hmm. it is you know you need a good dose of common sense, practicality, and 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 drilling information. And I think from the rest of that, anyone else, anyone can, can do an estimate. And I think it would be good to demystify some of the things, you know, and get some feedback from people in terms of the things that confuse them, confuse them on estimation, just address mm. that. Because there is, everything can be explained simply. Mm. Um, I've seen it on bloody hot copper when I've uh, they when they were bargy arguing me. Hot copper even made me question my own intelligence when they were, <laughs> they because they were they were for a certain high grade resource thin high-grade resource and, you know, ter- simple terminology where they were talking about the one-and-a-half-metre MSO shapes that they use to oh, classify yeah. the yeah. the mineable 
the mineable stopes and then they take the dilution skin off that to give you the actual resource and you know the people are the punters are interpreting no that that resource grade is over a one and a half meters i'm like well it's not they're like oh this bloke's got no idea what he's fucking talking about but uh they, then they went quiet once i put the actual technical uh explanation of it that <laughs> i was right so there's a lot of um yeah myths and probably just just general, general pe- just pe- people just aren't aren't yeah. as well informed so it'd be and good it, i reckon yeah. that'd be a sensational one to do a buddy episode on about mm. yeah myths and probably yeah, faqs for mineral resource estimates because yeah. that's you know that's one of the things i really like doing is um you know just explaining things in the way that i understand them and mm. i'm a fairly practical person so um you know when we're running our training that's one of the feedback we guess is that we can kind of you know bridge that gap between theory and practical and and it's one of the things I remember when I was learning to do estimation on site is you know you find that that person or that mentor that can actually put it into terms you can grab those concepts and understand and once they're in there you don't have to relearn stuff you understand that and it's you know rock solid and you can build on that um but I I think um you know as a set of start, it's, it's not rocket science, mm. and yeah. Because if you think of the, th- if you classify the things that will move a share price the most in a mining company, um, the mineral resource estimate, like obviously the drill, high grade drill hole hits, are, can really significantly move it up. But the mineral resource estimate is one of the ones that can either keep it there or significantly send it down, because that is the the headline number that investors look for then you start at it on metallurgy and the study and the capital and everything yeah, but like the, the mineral resource yeah. estimate is the the big ticket item that uh, really drives the share market for mining companies so be good to be good to do a little uh, deep dive on that so we'll schedule you in might even convince <laughs> the boys it might even go on the money and mine platform as well jill yeah geez yeah, I love how you just line me up for another one straight up. Yeah, no I thought, I thought this one was enough. Without even asking. So. <laughs> yeah, no, there's definitely, there's definitely um, a lot of aspects on that. But, you know, I'm always big about getting others' feedback and then directing stuff to what, you know, what, what I think is important. It's not always what, what you know, everyone else considers areas that need to be talked about. So. I'll, make, I'll make sure to chuck your mobile number in the show notes <laughs> for this, mate, if you want to, and you can direct all the feedback to Jill's inbox. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll put that, yeah. <laughs> that's not a great idea so um yeah so i think that's i've got one for you that's probably Ooh, here we it go. that's good yeah nah, thanks very much for that mate sensational that's Jeez, right. 40 minutes flies doesn't it is that what it, you know, that's actually not too bad yeah just time flies when you're having fun jill i don't think i swore once oh that's a there you go that's one thing you didn't get from Gemma <laughs> then <laughs> she was she, at the end of our, my episode interview with her she's because it went for two hours she's like i was proud i didn't swear too much i'm like geez i'd hate to see you on a good day then <laughs> yeah no that's um that's that's one of Gemma's things she can she can uh, pretty much fill out a sentence pretty well <laughs> She, no, she oh, yeah. replaces a full stop with that word <laughs> or an um. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, no, I appreciate you coming in too, mate. No, so hopefully you. we didn't send everyone to sleep. No, no, they'd be absolutely frothing on it. I feel like if I can make geology exciting, that's a bloody great achievement for me. <laughs> yeah, well, I would agree with you there. <laughs> I even made a HR interview exciting one day. So, yeah, with uh, Nikki Levitt from Goldfields. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if she's still at Goldfields. Yeah, yeah. Even that was fun. 
You couldn't you couldn't pick, pick a more oh, boring topic, but uh, we had a great time. Maybe it's you, yeah. <laughs> no, thanks it. for making me excited. I, I appreciate it. I, I did it sober as well, so no, all, all right. good. Awesome, mate. Thank you very much. I'll let you get back to work. Yeah. I'm sure there's some mineral resource estimates that are gagging for your attention right now. <laughs> yeah. uh, you should write my LinkedIn post. <laughs> That's funny. Pleasure. I'll all do right. it for a fee. No worries. See, See you later. Up.